Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Anyways, we started this uh, set of talks last week titled, What Would You Do? And it's a question that uh, can challenge us in our faith as we go about our life. It's a question that I think that we should be always asking ourselves. You know, every circumstance provides an opportunity for us to act in such a way, to respond in such a way, and to put forth our faith. And so this question that kind of encompasses really every single day of our life as Christians, we have some scripture verses that we sort of lean on to help us answer this question from day to day. You see this, uh, what would you do or where would you go or how would your life look or would it look any different comes to us by way of answering when we look at things in the scriptures that say, well, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. So that should craft our response oftentimes when we're asked, well, what would you do in this situation? Or how about if we absolutely unequivocally knew that God was always with me, always with me, not when I'm doing everything right, but when I'm breathing, just in the fact that I exist, God is with me. God is with me. He's promised to assign his spirit to his children to be with them always. He helps us in many different ways, walks with us, helps to correct us, helps to comfort us, providing all of these different things. So the question asked to us is if we knew these things, if we know them, what will we do? How would we respond? How would we do life, so to speak? And so last week we looked at a very special person in the Bible, Abraham. And today we're going to spend some time looking at the life of a lady named Hannah. And let me just say, before we kind of just jet on in, I, I personally feel really hardly qualified to talk much about this circumstance. I mean, while I know the Lord highlighted her story to me regarding this set of talks, I I really feel challenged. I feel challenged as a person. I feel challenged as a man. I feel challenged as a parent. I feel challenged just as a human being. When I look at the realities of, of her life and what she was called on to do. For those of you that may be remembering the story of Hannah, I, I just want to pose this question again to you. If you were asked to live this same life, what would you do? If you're not real sure about the story of Hannah, obviously we're going to get into it. But it's going to help us. It's going to help identify where we might be. I mean, if we're we're faced with the same reality that Hannah endured, what what would we do? What would we do? Some, Some, I imagine, may have been. 
or may still be. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and a little bit in chapter 2. And to give us a little bit of a background, the nation of Israel at this point has been rescued from slavery. They've passed out of Egypt. They've received the covenant and the commandments from God. And eventually they have moved into the promised land in Canaan. And there's Israel here supposed to be being faithful to God. But before we get to Samuel or 1 Samuel, we've got to look at the book of Judges, which shows how the Israelites failed at that task pretty miserably. And it's at this time of moral chaos that we catch up with them. And it shows Israel's need for wise, faithful leadership. And the book of Samuel provides the answer to this need. Like I said, this is where we pick up on this beautiful yet really heart-wrenching story about Hannah. It's important that we understand Hannah is the first wife of a man named Elkanah. And he has two wives, Hannah and Penina. And as we're going to see, this was probably more out of a desperate need to have a successor than anything else. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear through scripture that Elkanah is a pretty stand-up guy and that he really prefers and truly loves Hannah. So as I said, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. It starts out and it says, There was a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, son of Elhu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Aphrodite. That's Elvish for those of you who don't know. <laughs> he has two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year, say year by year, from the city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. To the Lord, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, say year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart so sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorposts of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed and vowed and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will... Indeed, look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. 
We're in verse 12, and it says, And she continued praying before the Lord. And Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all I have been along, have been speaking about is my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went on her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to the, their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. There's a lot there in those 20 verses. A lot to read, a lot to comprehend, a lot to kind of go through. And I might be dating myself here a little bit, but how many of you remember burning CDs back in the day? I mean, you can still kind of do it now. But you take the original CD and you'd have a dubber, right? And you could burn it onto a blank CD. I'm not really sure if that whole process is totally legal, but people did it and they made good friends doing it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of us show our generosity by how many blank CDs, if you will, we might have had in our possession. But let me take it back and even farther. How many of you remember the beloved mixed tape? This was long before the burnt CD. I have a really good friend, pastor in Miami, Florida, Pastor Wilkerson Jr. And he remembers a time and tells a story of how him and his friends used to sit faithfully by the phone to call the radio hotline so that they could get particular songs played so that they could record them on this mixed tape. And how many of you would raise your hand and say, I was really good at making these mixtapes? I mean, some of us knew the moment to push those two buttons, right? You had to get it right then. How many of you had to do that a few times for a few songs to get the intro part? Now, why was this so important to us? Well, I know in my circumstance, when I was a teenager, had sometimes maybe a girl I was trying to impress and I had heard this song, Tony, Tony, Tony has done it again. Or, you know, the one Bobby Brown song, girl, you know, it's true. Hey, there we go. But, they, you know, these songs, right, they were really important. And you wanted to be able to record them and you wanted to be able to send them to your friend. And today, 
we don't have to wait like this anymore, do we? We just tell Surrey or Alexa what we want to hear. There's no wait time. I mean, even some of us that would say, you know, I didn't grow up in a generation with internet, cell phone, and all this and that. We've grown impatient. Am I right? The idea of waiting for something to load is painful. How did we get there? How did a generation of people, in some cases, that had to walk to use a telephone and pay 25 cents for it, or 10 Depending on how far back you go. We become impatient. The idea of making a mixtape now. Is wrapped up in just. Well that seems crazy to do. It's a novelty. But it has this nostalgia for us. Because I think in some cases. We've been built to know that patience is something we benefit from. Hoping and waiting for something is in some ways beneficial to us. To constantly always have at our fingertips everything we want, we know, isn't always the best for us. Now, this is a side note for us. But it's, it's still so true. The reality is, is that in those times, there was a developing vigilance. There was a, there was a developing skill of learning right timing. And the ability to wait. We used to be so happy and proud of ourselves at that moment we got what we were aiming for. You might be asking yourself, what in the world does that have to do with Hannah? What on earth? does this have to do with this lady who wanted so badly to have children yet couldn't? I mean, it's a good question. And in this passage, we, we witness a circumstance that by any measure is painful. It would rob us of our spiritual maturity and growth and formation if we skip over the very real pain and disconnect from what it might have felt like as a woman in this day and time and even still today. To have this innate desire, this maternal instinct to have children. To maybe even have all of your value wrapped up in the thing that you believe you're supposed to do, yet you cannot produce. It's not something that's been given to you to be able to provide. The Bible tells us in a couple of different times, year after year, this went on. Jewish scholars will tell us that it went on for approximately 19 years. Can we round up and just say about 20 years? About 20 years this woman would go, year after year. 
and pray. And I'm sure she didn't pray for it one time. And I'm sure that she had other struggles in her life. The Bible tells us in some translations she struggled with some bitterness. Can I take it a step farther and say she may have even in some cases and it sometimes had an alcohol issue. I know that that may not be something we want to face, but there's a reason why Eli may have thought she was drunk. And it couldn't just be because of the fact that she was pouring herself out before the Lord. I mean, if she showed up at the synagogue year after year, is it possible Eli could have seen her distraught, maybe under the influence of time or two? It's possible. It's possible. And is it unrealistic to think, even in our modern culture, that people who struggle greatly with their identity and their purpose in life to fall into different traps? I mean, the life of Hannah on its face really just looks like a short circumstance of one day she couldn't have kids and the next she's having Samuel. But it's not. It's year after year. Maybe as much as 20 years of her life. So this idea of waiting. Being patient. It's sometimes a very painful process. As we read, Hannah endured being ridiculed. Not just by society. I mean, we've all been there at some measure in our life where we knew the expectation of society being placed on us in a particular way for a particular thing, yet it's not something we're capable of doing. I mean, we know historically that was the majority of the breadth of value of women in this time was to have children. It was one major thing that you as a woman had to be able to sort of do. It's a pretty interesting thing. I'm going to point out something to you in just a moment. But this question really comes to mind as we dig really far down into Hannah's story. What are you currently praying for? I thought about this in my own life. What is the thing maybe I started praying for years ago? What is the one thing that I feel a passion about in my life, I'm still praying for, I'm still, I'm still waiting. Another question about that is where are you in that waiting process? And this is not a judgment, this is just a reality. At times in our life, we have the, the grit for it. We have the faith for it. Maybe that's where the prayer starts. Maybe that's where the journey starts. Somewhere along the lines, Maybe we receive that thing that we've been praying for. Maybe we're still in a process of waiting for it. But how long would you be willing to wait? How long would you be willing to wait? I think that most of us may have maybe just one thing. Maybe it's a couple of different things that we've been praying for. We've been waiting for. I want to help encourage us this morning. That if God has burdened you with something to pray for. To believe him for. Don't give up. Don't give up. 
We can't dismiss the fact that these are not easy things, but the simple fact is, is God is faithful to his word. I believe there's a couple of things that we can assess from Hannah's actions here. The first is she decided to let the Lord be her Lord. And I know this might seem like Christianity 101, but that's instrumental into how we respond to this question of what would I do? What would I do? She let the Lord be her Lord. There's a distinct difference there, isn't there? I mean, many of us would readily say, I know there's a God. But if we're transparent and we're open enough to say, you know, at different times in my life, depending on the circumstances, I shout a little louder, he's God, than others. I mean, it's part of our human condition. I mean, some days he's the Lord of Lords. And he's, oh, come on, Lord. Do you think that every time Hannah went to the synagogue and prayed, that she had 100% full faith that God was going to bring a child to her? Do you feel like maybe it's possible that in 20 years she may have showed up on a Sunday and been like, you know, man, I've been praying for this for a long time and I still haven't seen it yet. But I mean, what's one more shot? I mean, it's pretty obvious to me that as we read through this passage that there was a bit of a difference on this particular day that had an emphasis to it. She was pouring her heart out to the Lord so much to the fact that she got accused of being drunk. And I'm just curious, when we're asking ourselves the question, what am I praying for? How long am I willing to wait? What would I do? We don't know that this was a personality trait of Hannah. We don't know that she was an extrovert who would say, we would all look at and go, yeah, she's a real, you know, out there kind of person. It might have been the exact opposite, to be honest with you. It might be the reason why Eli picked up on it. Like, Hannah doesn't normally act like this. What is going on? She might be drunk. But it seems to me that Hannah shows up this day and it might have just been that last moment. It might have been, if it don't happen, I'm going to give up. Maybe someone in this place today is at that place. You want to see God act. But what do I mean by she decided that the Lord would be her Lord. I mean, many times we become so focused on the need or the desire that even though we go to God for the need, the need becomes the primary object in our life. The object becomes our primary focus of our affection. This is an easy thing to have happen in our human existence. We often need so much. We often want particular things. However, when we continually place God in his rightful place, our relationship with him grows and we grow spiritually. 
There was something happening in Hannah's life over the course of these year after year experiences. I think that she decided that the Lord would stay the Lord no matter what. If you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you've had some of these border crossings in your own life. You've had to face that question maybe through a tragedy or a difficulty or a big decision in your life. You've been walking with God, but there's this Alamo moment where you know, okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. No matter what. Early on in Jennifer and I's marriage, we had to come to a place where we decided there was no back door. There's no back door. You know, the world wants to give every married couple a 50-50 shot. Well, can I just say that if that's your take, you're probably going to make it half the amount of times. But you have a better chance of making it if you say to yourself and you, your spouse says, there's no such thing as the back door. We're going to do everything we can to screw that thing shut. I know the fire department says we're supposed to have at least two exits in the existence, but guess what? Everything in this home needs to come through the front door. And we're both going to welcome or not open it. And I don't say that in insensitivity, but I'm grateful that we were able to, by God's grace, make that choice and make that decision. And there's been times it's been tested, let me just tell you. If that's too transparent for you, then I don't apologize for it. There's difficulties that happen in our lives. These are real things, but we need to be people who say like Hannah, you know what? I've decided that no matter what, you don't think Hannah ever had to make the prayer choice to say, guess what? If God doesn't give me a kid, I'm still going to come here year after year. You see, there's times in life we don't just wait long enough. We don't wait long enough. I, I always laugh a little bit inside when I'm talking to somebody who says, I don't have any regrets. That's good for you. I've got a few. If I'm honest, I've got a couple. I've got a few things that I feel like I rushed along. Maybe I didn't wait long enough. Do I feel like I'm doomed? No. But it's a place of humility to say, you know what? I wasn't maybe as patient as I should have been. I, I didn't dig in. Maybe like. I wish I would have. I didn't open myself up to those relationships that I was worried about. Like I. Like I could have. The moment of regret is you sort of wonder, well, I wonder what God had for me on the other side of that just a little bit longer. We make his lordship conditional 
we run the risk of missing out on the miraculous. Hannah's fulfillment to have a child was anchored in her desire to honor the Lord. We see this all over this passage. This is so profound to me. She was willing to wait to truly see herself as a servant of the Lord. She calls herself this. So much so that even in her suffering, the prize became not what God could do for her, but what she could do to serve God. This story about Hannah is, it's a tough story, especially, as I said, if you're hearing this and and this situation is real to you, if you're still waiting. But I want to ask you to continue, just hear me out, okay? I don't want to minimize the pain that you may be going through. You know, it's easy to just look at Hannah and be, oh, she was like, Star Christian. But that's not accurate. There was a real life being lived here. There was real pain being experienced. There was real suffering. There was real distress. For those of us living in a married home, imagine that you have another That your spouse has taken to provide what you cannot provide. And year after year, you have to deal with this person poking at you. For the one thing you have absolutely no control over. It's just like the enemy, is it not? To come against you, to accuse you. To point in your face all the inadequacies that you have in your life that even some of them you know you have really no control over. It is a huge task of the enemy to point at the saints and give us this false sense of control and then turn it around on us and say, see how you fail? When you know in your heart of hearts, there's things that we do. Paul talks about this. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Well, let's just call it what it is. We're broken. We need the spirit of God working and moving in our lives, making us whole day after day. I want to encourage us today. I want to let us know that there can be real purpose to the real pain in your life. I remember the very first time I ever heard that, I was freed. I was freed. I mean, after all, how many of us want to go through something that's painful and not have any sense that there's purpose in it? But in Christ, we can have a real understanding of the fact that the pain that we're going through is not forever. It's but for a moment. There's a real end to the real pain. And I think for some of us today that it starts when we realize there's real purpose as well. The real truth of the matter is, is that in your testimony, there's places of pain. There's moments of pain. There's moments of 
tragedy, there's moments of difficulty, there's moments of failure, but you know that out of that place became great purpose that the Lord can use and will use to help not only transform your life, but the lives of others in and around you. It's so important that you don't lose track of that person who maybe is now 50, but back when you met the Lord, you were in your early 20s. Be willing to look at that person still in the mirror and say, but for the grace of God, he's moved me through. It doesn't mean that we live perpetuating or somehow revisiting those mistakes. No, but stay in touch with the person who was humble enough to walk down to the altar and say, I need Jesus. Don't forget that dude. Don't forget that lady. Don't forget that person who would at that moment say, God, you do whatever you need to do. Whatever. I think this is really the only way Hannah gets through this whole thing. God, you do whatever you need to do. Do whatever you need to do. Do whatever you want to do. I am but a servant, she says. But if you will, if you will, would you give me a son? I like how Hannah asked for what she really wants. She asked for what she really wants. It's the power of God that turns pain into purpose. Yeah, personal fortitude. It can last for a day or so. But we need the power of God and we need to know that he is the one guiding us and leading us. And when we get on the other side of these moments of pain in our life, it's for his purpose and it's for his glory. Something interesting to note about the Bible and this very specific subject of barrenness is that three of the four matriarchs or mothers of the tribes of Israel, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, all suffered with this devastating condition. And in each case, we see this pattern of complete surrender to the Lord gave way to his provision of new life, a child, and moreover, a son. And while Hannah is not considered a biblical matriarch, she gives birth to Samuel, who fulfills every role of leadership open to a Jewish man of his day. He was considered a seer, a priest, a judge, a prophet, and a military leader. You put those pieces together. Why is it that God's people are marked with this moment of barrenness? It's not that mysterious. Could it be God's way of showing his people time after time, then and even now, that he is our source? He brings life. He provides leadership. He brings guidance to our soul and protection to our lives. That's the picture that we get in the spirit when we look at these physical stories of the Old Testament. What do they imply for us as believers today? That sound leadership, true life, purpose to our pain, they all come from God. He is the provider. He is the giver. 
We're too independent sometimes. We're too independent. I wonder, I wonder in my life, some of what I may have given up for what God could have provided. I mean, I I feel like in some ways, as a dude, I've done okay for myself. But then I have these stories of, you know those stories in your life where you knew it was God? You knew it was God providing and then you somewhat in your own mind, you compare those things you knew you chased after and then the things that seem like God so easily provided. And if you draw comparison, it's no contest. The thing that God gave was just so much better. I mean, to the world, it may not look as glorious, but you know in your heart, the peace, the joy, the provision, the fulfillment of the thing that you know was God, and then the thing that you might have chased on your own, is just so much better. I think some of you today, you're grabbing a hold of what I'm saying. I think that what we're talking about in this question of what would you do is actually changing hearts and lives and minds. You might have thought for a moment last week, you know, I mean, I am past this. I got my thing going. I'm going to show up at church. We're going to do the thing because that's that's what I should be doing. But some of you have woken up to the simple fact that God's not done with you yet. He might actually have a plan that you didn't have. He's actually moving you from where you were comfortable to where you're feeling like, ooh, sure hope there's a net. I feel like I'm about to jump into something. That's a great place for us to be. That's a great place for God to use this fellowship to help respond and to help people in our community. You see, there's people in our community, they need someone walking up to them and showing faith. That aren't afraid to love when they might get smirked at. That might let someone have the fast lane for just a little too long. God wants to use us, guys. The first thing that I see that Hannah does is her response to following up with the fact that she's decided that the Lord would be the Lord no matter what. You see, that's decision time. And it sometimes happens more than once in our life. Sometimes we have to reel back personal desire, dive back in and be like, okay, no, you're God. God, you are God. You're my God. What does this mean right now? She allows her suffering to lead her to a place of total surrender. That's not an easy thing. How am I going to protect myself? How am I going to keep from this woman making fun of me all the time? Who's living in my home, sleeping with my husband. This is what she had to deal with. I don't think there's anybody in this room having to deal with this right now, but this is what she had to deal with. Pretty awkward circumstance. That's a difficult place to be. I mean, I think most of us say, ain't no way some other woman would be living in my house. 
I get it. I don't blame you. I'm just pointing out what Hannah had to deal with. She let her suffering lead her to a place of total surrender. Year after year, she suffered, but still year after year, she prayed. Year after year, she showed up at church and was authentic in her prayer and in her worship. She poured out her soul. It's so important that we understand this. And to be honest about how we're feeling, both to God and to those that he's put in our spiritual family. If there's one thing that I would personally point to myself, and I hope you don't hear this as a judgment, one thing that I I think that the faith community needs to re-embrace is real relationship with one another. We're so afraid of one another, and I will say for good reason. Christians can be some of the most judgmental, hurtful folks that are on the face of the earth. I'm not sure why that's the case. We all know that we're only saved by grace through faith, lest any man should boast, but somehow we boast. It's something that we somehow have to be willing to say, you know what? Not my will, but we're going to let God's be done and we're going to embrace one another and be okay with the fact that, guess what? None of us in this room are perfect. Where did we ever get the notion that we're Christians now? Somehow we shouldn't make dumb mistakes. We certainly aren't looking at the disciples or any of the people that we read about in Scripture. I mean, the only one that we read about in Scripture is Jesus. I mean, he's the standard in comparison. We're just like all of the other folks that are in the Bible. Right or wrong? And it's okay. It's okay for us to admit, I, I fail. I fail. And it's okay. And you know, you're, you're not going to be damaged for long to be transparent. Trust me, I've been doing it for a long time. At some point, you get comfortable with it. And if people want to sneer at you and they want to say things about you, God's got your back. He's the one who calls you. He's the one who solidifies you. Trust me. I know by some people's standards, I don't deserve to be where I am. But it's not my story that holds me back from God using me. It's my story that actually God uses to tell the story. Why? Because there's folks in this world that need to know who Pastor Michael really is, was, and is attempting to be. That's real for them. It helps them to see a real person. It's just a posture of humility and saying, man, you know what? It's not an accepting of your flaws. It's just knowing. The only thing of perfection in my life is Jesus. And I just want to lean into that. And so we make mistakes and we tell our kids, I'm sorry. I know everybody's parents are better than yours, but trust me, one day you won't feel that way. And God uses these things. Let's not be afraid to be honest. 
by doing so, this gave Eli an opportunity to be an encouragement to her. And I think it's even deeper than that. Eli must have discerned something from God in this moment. He's a priest. And he speaks prophetically to her. He says, go in peace. He doesn't tell her you're going to have a kid. He doesn't say that. He says, go in peace and the God of Israel will grant you your petition. I'm just saying, if you're in this place today, I believe that there's people in here today that, that this is that day for you. This could be that day for you. You've been showing up before the Lord. You've been pouring your heart out to him. And, and today you can really leave here in peace with a smile. You see, when we surrender to God's timing and his provision. It's on him. What, is, what does scripture tell us? To place our cares, to lay ourselves onto him. To put our whole selves onto him. Like a wet blanket. Lay yourself on Christ. I mean, for some of us in this room this morning, that is freeing because you just don't have anything left. You don't have any energy left. You feel like a wet blanket. We can lay ourselves on him. Cast all your cares upon him. In just a few moments. We're going to have the worship team and the prayer team come on up here. I think an appropriate response for some might just be that step of faith. I hope that we have a desire to fill these altars, to fill this place with our petitions and make room for the Holy Spirit to work and move. In a world that's suffering and in a people that is suffering, that God is filled with so much purpose that we would be willing to push past whatever it is that we're facing and say, you know what, I trust and I believe that God is working and wants to do something special again in my life. The second thing that I see is Hannah's humility became the highway for an open heaven. And Hannah had to endure the taunting of another woman in her home, as I mentioned, and who could give him what he wanted. She so badly wanted to be able to provide. She, she surely knew what society thought of women like her. She battled feelings of low self-worth and anxiety, probably wondered a time or two why she was even born. 
But her relationship with the Lord gave her strength to walk in humility instead of hatred. And sure, we too could be fooled into believing that this woman must have been perfect. Must have been perfect. But the scripture tells us she battled with bitterness. That's just real. And truthfully, we know that's understandable. It's important that we know that God does not disregard our vexation or our questioning. Despite our current condition, God is still working. And I want to say this, that humility is the highway to God's heart. Humility is the highway to God's heart. There must be a reason why we as people find humility so difficult. I mean, true humility is, I don't know that it's a human thing. It's something that we, we want to do because it's something that we all desire for others to display to us. But humility is the highway to God's heart. James chapter four, verse four through six, scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I need grace. I need grace in my life. Don't you? I wrote this down as a thought that I had as I was kind of muddling over this whole idea. Humility is the primary language of heaven. And when we speak it, we can have confidence that God will move heaven and earth on our behalf. You think of how sweet it is when one of your brothers and sisters in Christ responds to you in humility in a situation where you know you don't deserve that grace. And how sweet it is and how it turns your heart from being bitter and cold and resistant to knowing I need and can change something. Oh, that we might desire humility in our life so that we could see heaven move. Last but not least, we need to know that prayer is the posture that produces Prayer is the posture that produces. We've been challenged in this set of talks to ask ourselves this question. Worship team, if you would begin to make your way. Prayer team, if you would begin to make your way. We've been challenged in this set of talks to ask ourselves this question. What would you do? And in order to live out in the fullness with God, there are definitely things that he has for each of us to do. But it's pretty obvious here that for Hannah... Prayer was the biggest part of her job. I mean, really, what else could she do? What else could Hannah do? She was never going to be the CEO of a company in her community. There were so many things that a woman in her day was not going to be called per se to do. 
So this one thing. And so the most effective part of her life we see year after year is a posture of prayer. I want to invite you that if prayer is something that you're trying to catch more of, Wednesday night, there's a group of people that come here. And some of the sweetest times happen in this place where we open ourselves up to praying for the prayer and praise cards that we receive on a weekly basis. But the room is filled with a sense of, in some cases, real rest for the weary soul. And there's just a sweet presence of showing up midweek to the house of God with one another and being willing to find that posture of prayer. And so if that's not something that you're making available to yourself, I want you to know that you're invited. We, we've, got, we've got to stay steadfast in, in praying as a church. Scripture tells us that after she gave birth to Samuel, she took only the time necessary to wean him and then brought him to the house of the Lord. She didn't even keep him as a toddler and play all the cute games that moms do with their kids. She didn't even take what would be seen as that right as a mom to coach him in these early formative years. No. She literally weans him. And as soon as he can eat, she brings him to the, to the church. And she fulfills the word that she gave. And I don't know, maybe you're a parent in this room today and you'd like to leave your kid here. Can I say, you don't really want to do that. Ah, let's look at it. Verse 26 and 27, it says, and she said, oh, my Lord, she's talking to Eli, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Hmm. Maybe today. That's just where some of us need to start. And so I want to invite us to stand. As I said, the prayer team has made their way up here and they make themselves available to you. And they take this as a real privilege to believe in the trust that God's working and moving and Helping our hearts be postured more towards him. And I just want to encourage you that if. You know this invitation is for you. To just take the Lord up on it. Come let's seek the Lord together. Maybe you're standing in your pew and you're like. Oh I need to pray with my wife.
Let's soften our hearts towards the Lord. Let him do some work. We see this amazing response after all of this happens in the right the beginning of chapter two. And it says, Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord for there is none beside you. And there is no rock like our God. Let's just give it to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.